Hello, welcome to Abiding Life Studios. I'm Noah Wells. Today I have with me Shay Wells. Hi. Hello. And we also have Steve Reinhardt with us. Hi, Shay and Noah and, uh, and all of your listeners, Noah. How exciting to be here with you guys. Yes, it's great to see you again. Yeah, it's great being here. I'm really grateful. Uh, opportunity and privilege to be with you guys. <laughs> exactly. Before we start, what's the date uh, for us, Steve? Oh my gosh, I got to look. It's uh, April 20th, night 2020. Wow. Yep. We're kind of still, uh, I, it, from my perspective, we're kind of over the hump of the first wave of the coronavirus thing, but we're still under lockdown and yeah. here, in, here in Colorado Springs and there where you guys are, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's such a strange time and um, lots of people are feeling lots of anxiety. So your podcast from the last one we did to probably be hitting home and maybe people won't look at it as a gift. Maybe they'll look at it as a curse. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it's been a huge gift and a blessing to experience my own anxiety and fear and uh kind of a little bit down too you know every once in a while I feel a little down mm-hmm. and and uh, sometimes uh, I've noticed people are feeling more angry and agitated I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not but the yeah. folks that I get to hang out with uh, I mean not only just a little bit sometimes it's just been full-blown rage yeah. uh, so you know that might be another podcast we do sometime is some on anger on anger yeah. Yeah. you know I uh, and I think, and maybe hidden anger, because a lot of times it's so embarrassing to express how angry you're feeling. I know. Or, or it can be. Yeah. So, but it's so great to be with you guys. And I'm sorry I got sidetracked there on the date. Okay. Uh, Very good. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. And then, uh, so today we're actually going to do, well, Shay's going to do her <laughs> testimony yeah. for us all. Yeah. So can I can I just like uh, ask a question because that's kind of a a funny term you know kind of a Christian term like what the heck is a testimony? I just view it as my life story of the things that God has done in my life, and as I talk about my life, you're going to see the many ups and downs. And even though I accepted Christ when I was 13, life didn't change. I still went through hard things. Um, and I'll go into more of that. So I just see it more of just my story and where really where I'm at today because of it with what God has done. Cool. Thank, thanks for defining that, Shay. Of course. Would you agree with me or disagree with me? I would agree with you, <laughs> yeah. I think it's the whole process of God walking with us. Uh, yeah, so, so we could say uh, Shay's story to date. Yeah, yeah. And, and it'll probably be different tomorrow, but yeah. So yeah. great. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing hearing it. I've never heard your story before. Yeah, I've only told bits and pieces, so I just had to quickly jot down my main points, and so we'll see how it flows. All so, right, so we do have a time limit here, and it's like not three days or thirty years or something. Okay, perfect. I'll I'll try to take my thirty three years and just. <laughs> Condense, condense it into 33 minutes. It'd be wonderful if you Perfect. could hit that. <laughs> um, okay. So like I said, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, I 
accepted Christ when I was 13 because my very best friend invited me to youth group and her parents, she was raised in that church. Her parents were big in the church and I just started going to youth group because it sounded fun. And so um, I accepted Christ when I was 13 and I remember feeling almost an embarrassment about it. Mm. Honestly, like um, the church we went to was, there were a lot of rules and there were a lot of like, I had to be this specific person in order to follow God. And so I, I think I almost felt shame in even accepting Christ. But since that's what everybody was doing, it was like, well, I should do this too. And so I remember they gave me a booklet to go home with and I came home and I didn't want to tell my parents. In fact, I sat in my room just bawling that I didn't want to tell them because mm. I was worried about kind of what was going to be said. My parents could be a little critical. And so I was worried about where that was going to go. And eventually I was like, I'm just going to go tell them. So I walked in their bedroom and I told them and they were like, great, good for you. Then it started this whole thing where my parents actually started going to church with me and um, they actually became youth leaders in my church. So hmm. it was cool because it kind of brought them back to their faith uh, that they had had earlier on in their lives. And so they became really big in the church. They became leaders. Um, and it was great. It was what we did every Sunday and Wednesday since they were my youth leaders too. Um, and then when I was 17, my parents decided that they were going to divorce. And that was kind of my big first step of abandonment because the church had told them, if you guys are going to get divorced, you can no longer lead. You guys need to step down from the church. They weren't accepting of us any longer. Um, I had then felt like a statistic. Um, most of my life I was told like, you're so lucky your parents are still together. Oh, you're so lucky that your family is so close. And the divorce was very sudden. Um, it was very unexpected for I think everybody. And so then to get kicked out of the church was another hurt on top of it. So I started kind of questioning God and questioning, did he really care? Was he really there? Why would my parents divorce? So Shay, can I just interrupt just a second? Yeah. And I, I'm just taking a wild guess here, but I'm wondering, uh, I'd love to hear from you, like when you got kicked out of the church and when your parents told you that they were going to get divorced. I'm just wondering, um, how were you feeling at that time? Yeah, I just felt like I was a Christian. I had accepted Christ. My life was supposed to be perfect. I wasn't, he, God was supposed to love me and he didn't want bad things for me. He was only positive in my life. And so I saw this huge hurt and I was like, God isn't here. He doesn't love me. So I instantly started feeling rejected and abandoned by him and just started questioning his existence. And then the night of my junior prom, my dad left. And that one was really hard. I actually didn't speak to my dad for nine months because he just left. And the divorce was hard enough. 
And my dad left and I felt even more abandonment and anger. And so I chose not to speak to him for nine months. So Shay, were you living with your dad at that time? Yeah, both my parents, they were living together um, in a house. Then my dad moved to another town. Um, so then it was my mom and I in the, in the home we lived in as a family. Um, and then a few months after that, my mom moved to Colorado Springs. And um, it was my senior year. And I then found myself alone. And as if I didn't already feel abandoned with my parents by the church, and then my dad, and then my mom, I then found myself completely alone. And that was really hard because I then felt like I didn't have any value. I didn't have any worth. So then I found that value and that worth in relationships, which was interesting. Now looking back, Noah and I talk about it all the time is um, my relationships were then with controlling abusive men. And I think at that point I needed to feel not abandoned. And so their control made me feel like they were there. It was almost like a comfort, which now that I don't have that seems really strange. But at that point, it was almost like I just needed to know somebody wasn't going to leave. And so if they were controlling over me, they weren't going to leave if I did what they said. So I found myself in a relationship um, that was extremely abusive. He was also a drug addict and a pathological liar. I also ended up having a baby with him. So he is the biological dad of our oldest. He was not a very good guy, but he gave me a beautiful daughter. And during this time, I was not praying. I was not talking to God. I was not going to church. I was not doing anything that had to do with God because I was still so hurt. And I remember going to church with my dad a few times because he was like, got to come to church with me. And I'd try and I would just feel like, why am I here? Mm. I felt showy. I felt like I was just going just to check a box, but really I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to talk to God. There was no point in me talking to God because I had my life handled <laughs> was the way I saw it, even though I'm in this abusive relationship and pregnant at 20 years old. So then there was this pivotal moment in my life. And it's going to be hard to talk about. But. So I know I can't ever tell the story without crying. But then Emily was born. And I was 21 years old. I had the most healthy pregnancy. Um, but she was born not breathing and she was born not crying. She was just whimpering and she was just ripped from me right when she was born. And I didn't see her until, you know, they fix you all up and you can finally go see your baby. And I saw her and she was on breathing tubes and they didn't know what was wrong with her. They thought maybe something was wrong with her liver, something was terribly wrong though. And they transferred her to Children's Hospital and they said, 
this baby's not going to live. She might need a liver transplant. She's not going to make it. You need to just plan funeral services. And I remember at that moment, that was the first time I had prayed in a very long time, but it was the, um, the scrambling prayer of God, if you heal her, I will come back to you. God, if you, if you heal her, I'm going to be the best Christian ever. If you make this happen, I'm going to go to church and I will not leave you. And you're going to prove to me that you're here. And for 17 days, he proved to me. And it was hard because it was funny. The two things that he proved to me was one, that he was there, but two, that I needed to become a single mom. And Emily's biological dad wasn't there the whole time. He'd show up here and there, but he would show up drunk. And it proved to me that I didn't need him, that I didn't need this man because God was going to be there. And so Emily had a 10% chance of life. She was never going to walk or talk or breathe or do anything on her own. And all of a sudden I saw a scan with severe brain damage. And two weeks later, I saw a scan with no brain damage. And I saw this miracle happen right before my eyes. And I know that that is, that was God saying like, I haven't left you and I'm here for you and I've got you and I've got her. So all of a sudden my heart changed. Not that my life changed, not that I became the best Christian that I promised I was going to be because I still had the whole lot to figure out. I was then a single mom with nothing. I had no job. We had lost our apartment. I was out of diapers and wipes. I literally had 50 cents to my name and I left. But within two weeks, God had given me a home. He had enrolled me in school. I had had a job. Everything had fallen into place within two weeks. And so I think, I mean, I know that God had me walk through that with Emily to bring me back. And I was still struggling when I brought her home. I was still like, okay, God, yeah, you saved her. Awesome. But now what? You know, I think I was just waiting for my life to be this miraculous change. And I all of a sudden was just going to be have this new life and everything was going to be butterflies and rainbows and it wasn't. So I was still questioning him a lot. Um, then <laughs> Emily was two, right? Yeah. No one and I were dating. Two or three, maybe. Yeah. We were already dating and, um, Noah had started sharing with me like the abiding life message and I had met Mike and I was like, these people are very different. <laughs> I don't know how to react with this because they're not telling me all the boxes I need to check and they're not making me have all of these rules and stipulations that they made it sound so easy to follow God. And I didn't understand that gift of freedom, that gift of just a relationship until, oh, as if I weren't emotional before, until Emily was about two and again, hadn't been to church, hadn't really talked to her about God because I was trying to figure out my life, what the heck I was doing. 
And Emily walked up and in her little two-year-old voice goes, remember that time I sat on Jesus's lap? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like Santa, I don't like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she goes, no, when I was sick in the hospital, I sat on Jesus's lap. And she said, there was a whole line of people in her little two-year-old voice. There was a line of people waiting to be fixed. And I sat on Jesus's lap till I was fixed and ready to come back to you. Mm. And at that moment I was like, okay, <laughs> now I really need to figure this out because now my two-year-old is witnessing to me and I should probably start actually giving God a little bit more control, which has been so hard because I am a grade A control freak. And I think for me, my whole life, I was expecting this daddy's little girl mentality that I had had so much of my life. And I was kind of expecting that with God of like, if I'm your little girl, I'm not supposed to hurt. And if I'm your little girl, I'm not supposed to struggle. And so it was really hard for me to kind of give up that control. And, and we got married <laughs> and I was like, I'm marrying this Christian man and we will be telling our marriage story at some point soon. But I was like, his, his dad is like this awesome preacher. And so like our marriage is going to be fabulous. And it wasn't <laughs> for eight years or so. It was hard. And I just felt abandoned all over again. And I felt left again because then our marriage was hard. And so then I felt like God wasn't there. And it all kind of stemmed back to, does my dad love me? He left me. I went from daddy's little girl to now he's gone. So God's going to do that. God's going to just leave me. He doesn't really care about me unless I'm checking the boxes. So I, it's, it's almost my comfort zone to go back to that. Whenever things get hard, I just think God's going to leave me. And so our marriage was hard. And I was like, well, God, God's not here. <laughs> so I had to struggle with that. And then um, our last podcast about anxiety, I know I talk about it in there too, that I went through the full year of anxiety. And through that whole year where, of course, I was just thinking like, God's not here. And Noah was so good about like, he is here. Just keep leaning in, just keep pressing in. And I really had to learn in that year what pressing into God meant and just how to give up control. And like I said, I'm a control freak because of my past hurts because I'm convinced everybody's going to leave me and I'm convinced God doesn't really love me and he doesn't, he's going to leave me at any moment. And so I've really had to make myself aware of him. If that makes sense. And can I, can I interrupt and just ask like yeah. how, uh, how you, how do you do that? And, uh, and you mentioned pressing into God. I've like, I'm yeah. not sure exactly 
what that means or how you do that. Yeah. Um, so, could you like give give me some help help there? So the first thing that I have to do that Noah's really good at reminding me of is just talking to God. Like stop trying to check all the boxes and make yourself perfect and make yourself into who you think that you need to be for God to love you and just have a conversation. And I think that that was so hard for me for the longest time because I felt like God was so far and I felt like God has so many people to talk to and so many people are talking to him. Why would he have time for me? And so I had to realize that like, that's all God wants from me. He just wants me to just sit down and talk to him just like we sit down and talk. I don't have to come to him and say, just so you know, I'm your daughter and you're supposed to love me and I don't have to remind him of who he is. I don't have to sit there and make sure that he's, you know, has nothing else going on because he, he makes the time for me. He loves me so much. He just wants me to sit down and just say, holy cow, I'm struggling today. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just this simplified message mm -hmm. of just having a conversation that truly made me realize how loved I am. Because even the big signs that I think we all wait for of like, God, show me a miracle. God, bring me, heal this person. Bring me this mate in my life. Bring me a job that I'm going to love. I think so many times we look for these huge, miraculous things that I know that God can do. Clearly, our 12-year-old is one of them. But even those didn't change my heart. Mm. So many times a huge miracle happens in our life. I still struggled. That moment wasn't a thing of like, oh, my life has changed. It has been in the quiet, mostly at night when I'm trying to go to sleep. Sorry, God, I always fall asleep on him. But it's in those moments that I feel closer to God rather than the big ones. So I really think that what has changed my faith and changed my relationship with him is just those small, genuine, sometimes anger-filled conversations that I've been able to have with him. Thanks for sharing that. That's so, so important because I think sometimes uh, it's so easy for me uh, to get trapped in the either the box checking mode or or the things to uh or trying to get god to check boxes for me like you were kind of saying you know like if you do this then i'll believe yeah. uh, which is kind of the it's kind of the same the flip side and you know and i'm not a control freak like you i would never i would never do anything to control uh, and yeah. the situation or the world or i mean i would just kind of like to be god every like all the time i love to be god because of that uh, so you know i feel really close when you said that because it's so um it's so natural if to when like the whole world's out of control right now the whole globe is mm -hmm. uh, if if we were going to feel out of control it's like now uh, yeah. because because i think it's so apparent that we are uh, we're not in control so i like that i and i i'm wondering though is it okay if i ask a few more questions the yeah. thing the things because i think the things you say we um 
I do. I've said it a thousand times. Um, uh, the thought runs through my mind. Uh, God's going to leave me. Yeah. Right. And so you've said, you said that. And, and then the, uh, the kind of the follow-up thought is, is, well, if that's true, then er- everybody's going to leave me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, another thing you didn't actually say, but you, um, you had this idea that God's uh, distant. Yeah. That he's not, that he's not there. He's, he's, a, he exists, but he's like, he is, he already has left and he's not nearby. Um, but then you had a shift, you know, you had a real shift and I'm, and I'm still curious about uh, like when do you, I'm, I'm guess guessing and I'm, you know, maybe way off base. So just tell me if I am, but I'm just guessing that every now and then, you know, maybe when you're laying in bed at night and, um, thinking about your daughter's anxiety or health or, you know, Noah not being the perfect husband, although I know he's like pretty close, but he's probably still, you know, just a little, per, you know, probably only 99% perfect, but you probably go to bed thinking about the 1% uh, that when, so when that's happening and you have those thoughts pop into your mind, uh, uh, probably God's going to leave me everybody's going to leave me. Um, or I really liked uh, that uh, you, you came into thinking that uh, our marriage is going to be fabulous and it's everything's, uh, you know, I've, I've got this new truth, this abiding truth. Uh, it's uh, so easy to walk with God, you know, look at these people and now I'm marrying one of them and it wasn't easy. It wasn't, uh, and you still felt abandoned by God and everybody else. So, so when that happens now, does it ever happen to you? I guess I ought to start there. Does that, you ever still have those feelings and thoughts? Yeah, a lot. And like, for example, this last January, we went through like a refinance process on our home and it was way longer than it was supposed to be. And it was this whole long thing, but like our lender would tell us something and then it would change the next day. So I, I have a huge issue with empty promises. Um, I have a huge issue with with being told one thing and it not following through. Um, my dad was like that most of my childhood where I would be told um, we were gonna get a, a wedding gift and that didn't happen. And it was gonna be substantial for us. And so a lot of times, Um, when I start feeling like something is supposed to happen and then it doesn't, I start seeing like, see God, Mm -hmm. you're not following through. And, and really I've had to realize that what I felt like God needed to follow through on was my idea of what God needed to follow through on. Mm -hmm. And so like when the refinance didn't go through, Noah and I sat down and, and, he was like, babe, did you realize that a lot of this is because you're getting empty promise after empty promise. And so you're extra frustrated because this is bringing up a lot of past hurts. And so I think for me, having him to kind of talk through that has been huge, but I know not everybody has that person in their life. So I think just sitting there and laying it all out on the line to God has been so helpful because 
The other thing is growing up with all the boxes to check, I felt like I could never get mad at God. I could never tell him the truth of what I was feeling because if he was the God of love and positivity and everything butterflies and rainbows, I can't tell him that I'm having a hard time because he's not going to understand it. He's the God of love and positivity. So if I come to him with my frustration and my anger and my sadness, he's not, God's not even going to be able to relate to me. So, can, so are, you're, are you telling me that he's not the God of love and rainbows and positivity? I'm saying that God allows us to go through some stuff to find who he truly is. So how would you describe him if he's not, uh, if he's not, you know, the God of love and positivity and rainbows and butterflies, how would you describe, you know, your experience of him and what, you know, your, your take on him is at this moment? Well, well, it depends on the day of how I would describe him. Um, but I really had to realize that this is funny. Since I became a parent, I then realized the parenting is hard. And sometimes we have to discipline our kids, which is hard. And we have to watch them go through things that are hard. And that God gets that tenfold. But as a mom, I'm never going to abandon my kids. As a dad, Noah's not going to be like, oh, you messed up. So now you're dead to me. Like you're mm -hmm. gone. So I had to realize really through my own parenting that God is always there. And sometimes he has to watch us go through, through some sucky stuff. And I'm sure that is so incredibly hard for him. I couldn't even imagine how he feels watching us go through our struggles. So I really had to almost like sympathize with God mm. and see him as a parent and see him as like, he is my dad, not my dad that I was given on earth that has fallen short because he's human. And my dad who has his own history of pain. And so he has in a sense fallen short for me in my expectations I've had to realize that God is always there and sometimes has to watch me go through some stuff because he also knows that if I don't take that scenic route, I'm not learning. <laughs> I won't listen. I won't learn. I don't care. I mean, he healed my daughter in front of me and I was still like, okay, God, you exist but there's still more that you need to do. And so I almost had to be like, okay, God, I'm going to go through this and it's going to be hard, but I know that you're going to be here. So I had to just really realize the fact that he's here, even in the pain. Wow. That's really cool. That's such a huge shift. Thanks yeah. for, mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that. I really like how you described it too. Um, you said uh, I kind of had to empathize with God mm -hmm. uh, as a parent. I like that because, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that you'd like to do a podcast on communication. And I think that's such a huge part of uh, relationship and communication is to being able to put yourself in another person's shoes or bodies or eyes and see from their perspective that it actually uh, has a transformation of uh it's it's not just 
I'm just looking at it from your perspective as I experience it from your, I, I get to see it. I get to feel it. I have the, that strong of a oneness with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that because the, like the, the, the follow up thing that you just said was he's not going to leave me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you had to be intellectually convinced. You probably couldn't have been, uh, you know, like Noah would probably tell you time and time again, well, he's not going to leave you. I'm not going to go anywhere. But once you were able to uh, identify uh, at a heart level, at a gut level with God and what he was experiencing, uh, it had a, a huge shift in you. Is that right? Am I getting that right or am yeah. I missing the boat? Well, there were many times, especially through the anxiety years and our marriage, which I won't get into our marriage because we'll do a whole other podcast about that. But there were many times that Noah was like, just go to God. And I was like, I am <laughs> listening, you know? And so there were many times that he would say that, but I had to, and, and, and I want to clarify, I don't put myself in the same playing field as God. I don't put myself as like, oh, I'm God. But if, but if we're going to go on the aspect of he is within me and I am within him, I can feel that pain that he would have for his children because I have children. And so I can, in a way, empathize with that on a very tiny minuscule level. I don't I wouldn't want to be God and see all of his children hurting as much as we do, but I can start going, okay, I'm going to go through this pain just like my kids go through growing pains, but it's going to make my kids stronger in the end. So I know it's going to make me stronger in the end. And kind of just shift that mindset, that, and also like being intentional with seeing him in everything, which is so hard because when things get bad, we so badly want to blame him. And I did. I blamed him for my parents' divorce. I blamed him for me being with a drug addict and having a baby with him. I blamed him for making my daughter sick, even though he healed her. It was so easy to blame him. But now, I have- now I'm feeling really close to you because <laughs> it's so much. It's also a lot of fun to blame people. It is uh, for it's, me. For me, I mean, just it's easier. It, I can. It is it, so much easier for me to blame God than it is for me to actually take a moment and and try to see what He's doing in my life. And you don't always get the answer right away. He doesn't always go, "Hey, this is going to hurt." but this is what's going to happen at the end. Like he doesn't, he doesn't give you that information, but looking, he's always there. And so you can always see something, even in the hurt, you can always see him doing something, but you have to be intentional for looking for it. So, so are you telling me, I'm not exactly sure what to feeling it, being intentional would look like because, uh, Sometimes my intention is I am blaming God and I'm angry and I've got expectations of him and uh, he hasn't met them actually. Uh, So are you telling me I shouldn't do that? No, you can still blame God. (laughs) Uh, I can still, I can. Yes, because we're human. Oh, okay. Things go wrong and then I'm like, okay, I have my fit. Just like my kids get mad at me when I ground them or I tell them to pick up their room and they throw a fit and they drive me nuts and they scream and cry. And our 12-year-old's a preteen, so she cries a lot. But then they start seeing the good in it. Like, 
have your tantrum. We're human. We're allowed to. God's not going to leave you in a tantrum. God's not going to say, you yelled at me, so I'm done with you. Hmm. So have your tantrum. It's okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And and, and, and then I can, uh, I probably can experience that he hasn't left me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's like what well, it reconfirms more to me. Uh, this is my experience. It's a little different. It reconfirms to me more the fact that uh, he's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. In fact, I could do anything and he's not ever going to back away from me yeah. and, and never has, even though I might uh, blame him or uh, so. I love, I love what you're saying, Shay. Well, and that's hard because, I had to learn to acknowledge my abandonment and also to be allowed to release my abandonment, which is hard because it's so much more comfortable to hold it. It's so much more comfortable to be like, I have abandonment issues. I'm angry. I have abandonment issues. Like it's way easier to do that than it is for me to go, okay, I'm angry about this situation because it's bringing up all of this other stuff. So I'm going to go, okay, God struggling today. This sucks. This hurts. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Like, like there's this whole sense of you also have to be able to admit like this hurts and this is hard and to go through the pain of giving it up, which is harder than the trust. I think giving up the pain of abandonment was almost harder than learning to trust because it's a comfort zone for me. Yeah. Isn't that such a strange way of phrasing it that, you know, the pains and the more actually more comfortable than the, the freedom you would experience by trusting. But I, I get it. I think that's, that's so much genius in what you just said. That's, that's beautiful. And, you know, I love myself. It's I mean, a little bit. Uh, don't want everybody to know everything about me, but I do. I enjoy sometimes that sick, um, twisted idea of being a victim. You know, being a victim and blaming other people is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of power there. Actually, for me, is like, like when I'm when I'm walking in that mindset. Um, it's almost like God, nobody can change me. Nobody can help me. There's no answer. I'm, I'm almost supremely powerful by being the victim and telling, telling myself that whether I'm abandoned or I'm not loved or not lovable or all the crazy things that I do from time to time. Uh, it's such a powerful thing. And I just loved how you said that, that was, uh, it's most more, it's more difficult to like give that up than to have the tr- to trust. I yeah. and I think that would be you know be a, that would be another good podcast of what, like why is that so hard? Like why would like here I'm offering freedom, you know? Yeah, I'm you I'm you know like the Lord's there offering freedom to you, and we go no no, uh, you know I I I love that uh, uh, Anthony Melo story where he talks about the guy who's drunk in the middle of the night he's talking about like this is a condition of mankind and i think it's like this is a condition of steve i'm he's a here's a here's a drunk guy in the middle of the night he's hanging onto the gate going in and he wants to he thinks he's locked in the city park and he's shaking the gate and he's saying 
let me out, let me out. Uh, but the, and the punchline is, he is out. He just needs to let go of the fence and turn around. He's not in. He's, 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 locked, he's out. Uh, and I think kind of that describes what you're saying is uh, it's more comfortable for, for us to uh, think that we're locked in someplace than locked out, well, that, we're, that we're distant from God instead of that he's right there in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, another huge part of my testimony that I left out for some reason is um, for years I struggled with an eating disorder since I was 10. And, you know, watching my mom go through all these really restrictive diets and her hating herself and me watching that. And then it kind of rolled into, well, I need to hate myself too. And so for years I struggled with that, but I blamed my mom for like, mm. Over 10 years, I blamed my mom. I have this eating disorder because I watched my mom. I have abandonment issues because my dad did this. It was such an easy way to excuse my own behavior that I was in control of. And it wasn't until the last few years that I really started looking at my parents as human beings. And I started looking at them and their pain. Mm -hmm. And I saw my mom's childhood. And I heard my dad's childhood and I saw their issues with their self-worth and their issues with their value and their issues with trust with God and their issues with humans hurting them too. And I really had to go, this isn't even about me. Yes, I was hurt in the process, but they're human. Humans are going to hurt me. <laughs> so I needed to realize that they had pain and that God needed to deal with them and their pain. And it was my responsibility to deal with my pain with God too. So to kind of sit there and, and also empathize not only with myself and what God has had to watch me go through, but also think about how God feels about what my parents went through and really try to, have a heart for them and not a hurt victim mindset about them because it definitely would be easier. And there still are days that I will blame a friend, my parents, Noah, you know, like of something of like this hurts and somebody put this on me. And I think that now I really have to stop myself and go, okay, but what am I doing about it today? And what is God having me learn through this. So to kind of go along with that, I had forgotten that part of my testimony. I wanted to add it, <laughs> but just yeah. part for other people that hurt you because people hurt you. Situations hurt people hurt, but that doesn't mean that God still wasn't there in all of that. Cause now I'm able to help women in my job with health and nutrition and teach them how to do it in a healthy way. And if it weren't for my past of eating disorders, I wouldn't know what healthy really looks like. And I wouldn't be able to then pass that knowledge on to other people and the anxiety. We wouldn't be able to help other parents mm -hmm. with their kids who are having anxiety. And so I can sit here and play the victim and the woe is me. And my life got hard in some spots and, you know, 
I went through this whole thing with my ex in court and Noah did adopt her and he gave up his rights. And so that was great. But, you know, I could sit here and just blame and blame and blame. Or I could sit here and go, those are people and they hurt me and they have a past too. Mm-hmm. And how I act and react today with where God has me is my responsibility. Yeah, I really like that. I like that. And I, I'm just, uh, thank you for teaching, teaching me and our, and our listeners that I was, I wrote just, uh, uh, as you were telling the story about your eating disorders and your mom and, uh, and how you kind of enjoyed being a victim uh, and blaming, blaming your mom and blaming your dad and blaming God. And then it seems, and I may be, I may have missed it, got it wrong, but uh, it seems like the real power, the real um, gut level change um, was for you to take responsibility for yourself and your perspective. And then what you did, uh, it seems like, was you put yourself in, number one, you kind of put yourself in God's shoes as a parent and saw that from his perspective, and that had a transformation in your heart. And then that, from there, you it seemed like you were able to um, put yourself in your folks' situation and Noah's Noah's shoes and your daughter's shoes and you and and each time you uh, took responsibility for your viewpoint and put yourself in their vision maybe or their state of mind their their heart that changed you to allow them to even be more human is am I getting it right yeah because I think for some for much of my life, God was far away and he didn't have time for me, but really that comes down to my own self-worth and same with my parents. You know, your parents are your parents. You're not supposed to question them. You're not even supposed to empathize with them really because they're your parents. They're above you. But really when you start looking at people as people and not their title, you start seeing friends that hurt you. Well, they're your friends and they hurt you and they have a past too. I think it gives you so much freedom to break those chains of not being worthy enough of abandonment of fear of whatever you struggle with. I think that what really helped me was being able to almost see them in God's eyes Not that I have God's eyes. I don't want to. I don't want to see every single hurt. I just get to see little glimpses of people's lives. But I really think just moving out of that victim mindset and having a heart for other people and taking the focus off of myself. Because I could have a focus on me all day long. I could talk about my hurts and then I could throw a tantrum about how life got hard and I can whine and cry about it. Or I can look at other people and go, how can I help people today? What is someone else going through that I can help them with because of what I've gone through? So yeah, just kind of changing that perspective is what had helped. Kind of. Yeah, it's, it sounds to me, and I may be, uh, you used the word human. Yeah. And I think that's uh, when we start using that word about ourselves and about the people around us, uh, the expectations start to fall off. 
mm -hmm. uh, that um, if I like you, if you view me as a human, um, I don't have any boxes to check other than the human box. Like, and I check that a hundred percent, Steve, hundred percent human. Yeah. And you know, and I and when and as you were talking about that, the thought popped into my mind. It, it's so cool that God came to Earth. He and he didn't come as like this guru. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. He came as a woodworker, yeah. a carpenter, a hundred percent human, and we kind of made him into a super special guy. But he came as a human, and not saying that he's not didn't do miracles, uh, but that he's a hundred percent human. He didn't come as like just. 50% human. He came as human as we are. And, and I love that about Jesus mm -hmm. that, that, and that as I've uh, experienced, like you have Shay, the idea that I can see somebody as a human, it removes tons of expectations. I mean, I still have my expectations for you guys. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, like Noah's only got to be 99% perfect. Uh, but, uh, it to say okay well i expect him to be uh, instead of a 100% perfect or 100% to meet my expectations i just expect him to be 100% human mm. and and whatever that looks like at this moment is exactly what it's supposed to be if it, if he's upset or struggling or um, having a hard go for me i love the i love that and that's what i love about being with you guys is that your humanity and acceptance of it uh, and genuineness, I get to experience you as you are. And I, and I am just so grateful for you telling us your story, Shay, and um, that I get to experience it. I get to hear about it and uh, experience you just like you are just at this moment. Uh, it's just, uh, it's mind boggling for me and heart expanding. Mm -hmm. uh, so thanks so much for telling us that and teaching us. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we start looking at each other and ourselves as humans, I think we start, I don't know, just having so much more freedom mm. within us because we don't have each other on pedestals and we don't have these expectations and we don't have all of these other things. It's just, we're all human and we're all just trying to get by and we all hurt each other and we all do the wrong things and we all say the wrong stuff. Make wrong choices. Make the wrong choices, but we're all human trying to do the best we can and try to be as close to God as we possibly can while still being human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, wonderful. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks Steve. And thanks Shay for sharing your testimony. That was that was sweet. Um, thank you for the listeners, and we will do another one very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, guys.